He said, well, then why do you worship them if they don't have life? You see, that's the kind of environment that he was at. So now when you hear that God is giving him an opportunity for a new life, it makes sense that he tells him, I want you to leave this place that you live in right now. Because even if you go around the corner into a different house, you will still see all of the signs, all of the invitations for you to come and worship their idols. You will still hear about the conversations of the things of these idols. I want you to go into a different place. I don't want you to live in this place. And you wonder why, after you say yes to the Lord, but you didn't leave the environment in which you were growing up that was conducive to sin. You wonder why you struggle so much. God bless you. It is a pleasure to speak to your life. I want to tell you that God has great things planned for you and that these are revealed through his word. Therefore, I encourage you to prepare your heart and to prepare your mind to hear a powerful word spoken through Pastor Richard Torres. Let's listen. Today we're continuing with our series, The New Life. You like The New Life? That's why we're here, right? We started this series last week. John chapter 10, verse 10 says it this way. The, the thief, the thief, the thief, the thief, thank you. Took only three times. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Tell me. If that statement right there, which we haven't finished the verse, but tell me if that statement right there is not real. Tell me if that statement is not being manifested in the lives of people around you. Let's go even farther. Sometimes even our lives. The enemy has come to steal. This is an obvious one. You look around. And you can see how the enemy is stealing the life of those that you love, of those that you know, and at times even our own lives. Anybody here knows know people with great potential? Great potential. And you look at their lives, and it is not equivalent. Their potential, their abilities, their knowledge is not equivalent to, to the quality of life that they have at the moment. You know why? Because someone has been stealing from them. There is this great potential inside of them, great skills, but somehow their quality, the quality of life is not equivalent to the gifts. You know, I can see the enemy coming into my life trying to steal things that I know God has placed for me to kill. You can see it all over the place, the enemy taking every opportunity that he can, that he can, excuse me. Even sometimes before you were born, talking nicely to your mom and saying, you know what? You can't handle this. You can't handle this. This is too much. Look how you live. How are you going to bring a baby into this life? You should abort. That'll be less painful for the baby. You see, that's nothing, no one else more than the enemy trying to make sure that you're not even born to kill you before you have the opportunity to live the life that God created you for. Have you, have you gone, gone back and seen how God has saved you 
from the natural death. Natural death. I can look back even in times of disobedience. Listen to this. Even in times of disobedience, I've seen God's hand protecting me and covering me because the enemy wanted to kill me. You see, back in the early 2000s, I was working as a valet parking in a nightclub. Far West. I don't know if anybody's been familiar with Far West. All the way in Dallas over there. Well, I was working there late one night. And at the end, we had this rush. Everybody would come out at the same time, around 2.30 in the morning. Everybody wanted their car. And some people will pay more than others. So the people that pay more, the cars are in the front. The people that didn't, didn't tip a, a bit, we put the cars five blocks away from the complex. Just kidding. They were just far enough. So there is this guy that comes out. And I, I, at the time, I was, I, was, I was at the front. I was one of the assistants to the managers. And so I was at the front collecting the keys of the tickets people were coming and handing them out to the drivers, right? And so there's this guy who is upset because he wants his car right now. And I already know who's got, I, I don't know who, who has his car. I know that it's coming, but it, it's a huge line and he's getting upset and he's getting upset. And every moment, it looks like he's getting worse and worse and worse. Now, keep in mind that most people are drunk when they come out. So as he's coming out, I know that he's trouble, that he means trouble. And all of a sudden, he's on the other side. There's two lanes of cars, you know, driving by. And all of a sudden, he just rushes over this way. I thought this, that was it for me. I mean, that guy was upset. I don't know if he had a gun or not. I, I just thought, you know what? Something's going to happen here. As he's rushing all the way to hit me, bit me, I don't know what he was going to do. All of a sudden, someone jumps from behind me. Listen, this is not an armor bearer. This is not an usher. This is not one of the guys in here that are protecting a minister. No. This is someone that just left the club. Just jumps and stands in front of me and faces this guy. I'm telling you. God is protecting us. The enemy tries to kill you every time he can. And because at times we are disobedient and we are in a place that we shouldn't be. He thinks that this is the perfect opportunity to destroy your life. Mm -hmm. But, but, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. I'm telling you, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything about you. But Jesus, he has come that you and I can have life and may have it more abundantly. I love the image that is presented to us through this verse. He looks at your condition, the kind of life that you have right now. He looks at it. He knows that this life that you're living right now is nothing more than the consequences of your decisions, of your choices. So if you choose poorly, Today, you may be suffering the consequences. Now, let's not, let's not, you know, be shocked at this statement. We know that as we're going through life and we make decisions, these decisions have consequences for us. You know, we're young, we're 18. Mom and dad said, do not have sexual relationships before you get married. Wait until you're married to have that. We're young, we're excited about life, we're dating, we're alone, 
and it's dark, and there's romantic music out there. And then you say, well, I couldn't hold it. I couldn't wait. And then all of a sudden, that decision turns into she's pregnant. And as, as, as an amazing blessing a baby is, now life changes. While you could go to college, go to school, now you have to get a full-time job and take care of this baby. You have to get together. You have to make it work. Even if you were not sure about it, you have to make it work. See, our decisions have consequences. And Jesus is looking at this situation around you. He knows that it's probably because of your decisions or the decisions of your parents. Because it is also true that at times we're not responsible for the environment in which we were born. I'm not responsible that my dad was the way that he was. I am not responsible that my mom was the way that she was. I am not responsible for the things that they did and that I witnessed and that now created and made it difficult for me to live a holy life before God. You see, he sees all these things. This is Jesus, right? He looks at your situation, right? Whether it was your fault, your parents' fault, it doesn't matter. He looks at it. And yet, he's given you an opportunity for a new life. Are you listening to this? I don't know what kind of lifestyle you have right now. I don't know the shape of your life. I don't know if it's a tough life, if you're suffering, if you're excited, if, if everything is wonderful, if everything is perfect, or if you're struggling right now. I don't know what it looks like. But he's saying that the thief is the reason why you're like that. Are you listening to this verse? He's, he's acknowledging your condition, and he's blaming someone for it. He's saying there is an enemy. The thief comes to kill. He comes to destroy. comes to steal. So your situation right now is the consequence, or, or, or is this guy to blame for the situation that you're in? He's saying that the thief is why you are in this situation. He's saying that he lied to you. He tricked you. He deceived you. He used you. He's blaming someone else for your condition. I thought you would, you would be able to say, amen, thank you, Jesus. You're not blaming me. You're not focused on my decisions. You're not looking at me at, you did this wrong, so you deserve this. No, you're looking at me as if somebody else is the reason why I'm in this situation that I am. Blaming somebody else. He's making the enemy responsible for your situation. I love it. He sees your conditions and tells you, I have I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. I don't know how bad your life may be, but this is an amazing, amazing opportunity. That Jesus, acknowledging your life, says, I want you to have life, and I want you to have new life. Whether it was your fault or not, this could be a fresh start for you. You would think that everybody would jump into that opportunity right away. I mean, you rob a bank, right? Jesus finds you with all of the cash in your hands. And he says, the thief has come to steal, 
kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life. I'm telling you, you'll be looking at the cash and be like, okay, so you're not blaming me for this? You're not blaming me for what you know I did? Instead, you're saying that you've come to give me life? You're saying that this is a distorted life that I'm living right now, that it shouldn't be this way. Instead, you're ignoring all of that and you want to give me life? Yes, that is the image that we get from this verse. Are you with me? As lovely and as easy as this sounds for us to have a new life, somehow we made it challenging. Let's look at the life of Abraham. You look about this new life. So you have the $3 million cash. Jesus finds you and says, the enemy is to blame for this. What is our reaction? What is our reaction? Are we excited to jump into this new life? Because Jesus will be like, I want you to come and experience new life. However, leave the cash behind. Why are you smiling like that? <laughs> is that now challenging for you? Is that now difficult? Listen, I'm not pressing charges against you. Instead, I'm going to give you a life that you don't deserve. I'm going to give you a life that you didn't even imagine you could have. But do me a favor and leave the cash behind. And that's our dilemma. That's where we pick up this story. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Why is this so challenging? God wants to give you a new life. God is forgiving you of everything that you've done. He's ignoring all of those things and giving you a life that you don't deserve, that I don't deserve. Why is it so difficult for us to walk into this life? That he's giving us. You guys are too quiet. You guys are making me nervous. You, you're going to make me feel like this is not the right message. I got to start finding where I went wrong in here. Genesis 12 verse 1. Do you have it? Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. This is the perfect example of what is to enter into a new life. I want to ask you to not be intimidated by the person that we're talking about. It'll be really easy for you to say, well, pastor, don't try to compare us with Abraham. Who am I to be compared with this giant of the faith? It doesn't seem like a fair comparison. But... You should know that Abraham was not born the father of faith. He wasn't born. He became the father of faith. So we're going to look at some of the challenges that he had to experience and you and I as well have to experience in this new life. The first challenge is, if you want the new life, if you want the new life, don't stay where you are. If you want the new life, don't stay where you are. Jesus found you with $3 million that don't belong to you. 
If you want the new life, you can't stay there. You have to leave. And guess what? You have to leave the money behind. Let's read it again. Now the Lord has said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. In other words, leave the money behind to a land that I will show you. Your current situation, your life that you have right now, it's one thing that you have to leave behind if you want a new life. He had to leave his country, family, father's house, everything. Isn't it interesting how God was very specific? He told him exactly what he needed to leave behind. Now, if you're honest, you would think that this was harsh, that this was not cool. Because in that list that he gave him, he said, leave your family, cousins, uncles, your family, everybody, and leave your father's house. I mean, I get it. Some of your family you don't even like. That's fine. Leave them. But your father's house, that you have to leave your dad, that you have to leave your mom, that you have to leave your father's house, that doesn't seem fair to me. Now, you may say, yeah, yeah, but it's the Bible, Pastor, so it's it's fine. No, it's not fine. It doesn't seem fair that he has to leave his father's. There's got to be a reason why. It can't just be like that. You know, when the Bible says that if you're not able to hate mother and father, you're not worthy, right? That's what the Bible says. You have to be careful how you read that. Because it doesn't mean that you should, in the moment that you, that you become a Christian, that you should look back at your mom and your dad and say, I hate you, I never want to see you again. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. Some of you may be looking for an excuse to say that, but that's not what the Bible says. Okay? It has to do with don't love more. Any of that. If you do, you're not worthy of following me. But listen. To me, it doesn't doesn't seem fair. So why is it that God is asking him to leave these things behind? What was wrong with all those things? Well, let me tell you. The place where he was born was a place that was heavy, heavy on idolatry. When I mean heavy, I mean heavy on idolatry. It was a big deal. Sacrificing children. You know, when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son... That was not the first time he would hear about sacrificing a child. That was a thing. It was a thing already. So idolatry was wicked. It was bad in this place. Do you think God, who is going to start a relationship with this man, will be okay with leaving him in such an environment? No, he will not. His family, I guess because they were living in that city, were also highly involved in idolatry. Joshua 24 verse 2 describes his dad as an idol worshiper. There is a story roaming around that says that one day that his dad had a store, like he would sell idols. He would make and he would sell idols. Their story says that one day, I guess God had already been dealing with Abraham about his new life, right? So his dad left him in charge for a little bit, and he went out. So by the time he came back, his dad found in the store 
that the smallest idol had a little stick, little stick, a big, a good sized stick on his hand, and all of the other idols were destroyed. So he comes and asks, "What happened here?" And Abraham looks at him and said, "You're not going to believe this, but they were having a conversation that turned into an argument, and the little one got upset, grabbed the stick, and destroyed them all. All of them destroyed them." And and then his dad looked at him and said. Are you nuts? Are you crazy? These things don't have life. I made them. They don't have life. What are you talking about? He said, well, then why do you worship them if they don't have life? You see, that's the kind of environment that he was at. So now when you hear that God is giving him an opportunity for a new life, it makes sense that he tells him, I want you to live this place that you live in right now. Because even if you go around the corner into a different house, you will still see all of the signs, all of the invitations for you to come and worship their idols. You will still hear about the conversations of the things of these idols. I want you to go into a different place. I don't want you to live in this place. And you wonder why, after you say yes to the Lord, but you didn't leave the environment in which you were growing up that was conducive to sin, you wonder why you struggle so much. I hope God has been speaking to your life through this message. The desire of Bethesda Church and Pastor Richard is to change lives through love, and we are very grateful for the opportunity that this medium allows us to reach multitudes. If you would like to continue listening to more messages from our pastor or to know more about this ministry, look for us online at mybethesda.org or on facebook.com slash mybethesda. Thank you. You see, God asked him to leave not only the place because of the environment, but also his family and his father's house because of what they were about, what they believed. If you want the new life, don't stay where you are. Don't stay where God found you. Yes, he loves you as you are. Yes. He loves you right where you are. Yes. But that doesn't mean that you should stay there. His love, mercy, and grace should be what allows you to move away from that. Don't stay where you are. Change the environment. What's this environment, Pastor? You may have to change some friends. Cut some friendships. Cut them loose. You can't have certain relationships. If a friendship is not getting you closer to God, instead is pushing you away from God, that's exactly what God was asking him to leave behind. Friendships, habits, don't stay where you are. If you want a new life, don't stay where you are. Number two, if you want a new life, since you're not staying where you are, here's the second advice. If you want a new life, don't stop moving. Don't stop moving. If you want a new life, realize that you have to go somewhere. Please don't stop moving. Please don't stop moving. You see, as humans, we display a desperate need to have heroes in our lives. We all want to have heroes. I mean, just look at movies. Everybody's so excited. Everybody thinks they're Batman. Everybody thinks they're Spider-Man. 
Everybody thinks they're a night rider. Is that a little closer? <laughs> hey, whatever your hero is, everybody wants to have a hero, someone they look up to. And here is the problem that we have as humans. When we find one, we idolize these people. And it is not only those fictitious characters of movies, but it's also people around us that we idolize, that we, put, that we put in a pedestal that is way too high for them to stay there. We think that pastors are incapable of failing. I thought you were going to say amen. We think that pastors are perfect. We think that pastors never make mistakes. Well, you don't say amen, but when a pastor does make a mistake, you get shocked. I'm like, how? What? I can't believe this. You know why? Because you put him in a place that he doesn't belong. You, you, you think he's a superhero, that he now becomes a superhuman, that, that he doesn't have the same fallacies that you may have, that he doesn't struggle with the same things that you may struggle with. Why, why am I saying this? Because we think of Abraham as someone perfect. I told you earlier, don't be intimidated by the comparison with Abraham because we think, well, you're comparing us with, with the father of faith. I mean, what, what opportunity do we have to do something similar to that? No, we don't. It's, it's, it's a huge difference between us and him. I'm telling you, he was just as human as you and me. And I want to show you some of the mistakes that he did. Okay? Abraham made it not only made it into the hall of faith but was named the father of faith now let's look at this father of faith this giant of the faith okay let's go back to verse one again now the lord has said to abraham now the lord had said to abraham i don't know about you but just reading that gives me the sense that this was not the first time we're dealing with this word Get out of your country. Now the Lord had said, how long ago? How long ago was he sitting on this word? Now the Lord had said, it's past tense. You know, other instances. I think chapter 15, 17, chapter 20. When God is speaking to Abraham, the Bible says, now after these things, God came. God spoke. God said, God tested after these things. So it's a clear statement as of when in time that took place. Okay? After these things. We just read about these things. After this, this took place. In this case, it says, now the Lord had said something about the past. Now let's look at verse 4. And Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot and, went, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed. Haran? Okay. So now there's two things in here that are intriguing. One is, now the Lord had said, past tense. And the other one is where he departed from. So, now the Lord has said, leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house into the land that I will show you. And then he, he tells him that he's going to bless him and all these things. And in verse 4, he says that he did that. Now, we read this without the context, and we're like, you know what? That's a man of faith. Because God said it, and immediately he did what he said. So when is it that God originally said, and when it, where is it that he was when God said, leave your father's house? Because this says that he left from Haran. 
Are you ready? Let me tell you that first. He made two mistakes. Now, the first one is he failed at two different things. First, he failed to live in the way that God told him to live. And then he stopped halfway. What are you saying, Pastor? Let's go to chapter 11 and verse 31. We're going backwards, okay? Chapter 11. Entera, T-E-R-A-A. Entera, chapter, excuse me, chapter, chapter 11, verse 31. Entera took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abraham's wife, and they went out with them from what? From Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of what? Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So now let's recap what we've learned. Chapter 12 opens up with saying, Now God had said to Abraham, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Verse 4 says that he left Haran after he heard that, right? So he made us believe that he answered right away. But no. There's two things that he did wrong. Number one, God said, leave everything. Leave your family, leave your father's house, and go into this land. And we read on verse 31 that he took his dad, he took his nephew. Mistake. Okay? And then we read that they didn't make it all the way to Canaan. That they stopped and dwelled. It's not like they stopped for the night. It's like that they stopped for a few weeks to, to get everything in order. No, they dwelt in Haran. Okay? Number one, first mistake, he didn't cut ties as God told him to. Leave your country, family, and father's house. Okay? You may think that he was smarter than God and said, you know what? The problem is the city. That's where the problem is. The customs. So I'll just take my family somewhere else. And bring the same customs we had over there into this new place. You think you're smarter than God. God said, I couldn't go there. He didn't say anything about them coming over here. God, God said, I couldn't see you. He didn't say anything about talking to you. Now, that's not funny, I know. I know. First mistake is he didn't cut ties with what God told him to. Second mistake is he stopped half way and settle there he stopped he stopped halfway and settled there i wonder how many callings have settled halfway you see you hear the voice of god speaking over your life says leave this and go into this place that i have for you and you get excited and you start that journey but you don't leave everything behind you bring some things with you but not only that you stop halfway. You stop halfway. Let me tell you. Don't stay where you are. And don't stop moving. Don't stop moving. Please don't stop moving. I normally don't use these things in my messages. But I thought it was too interesting to leave it out. You know what the meaning of 
Terah is, his dad's name, what it means, his dad, that name means delayed. Delayed. Like I said, I normally don't like to use these things to preach. But you know what Haran, the place, means? Barren. Barren. So it puts an image that reflects reality when you hear, you hear God's calling over your life, but you don't cut ties with those things that you need to cut ties. Your calling is delay. When you have a calling over your life, but you're not willing to let go of the things that God said leave behind, what you're doing is delaying God's calling over your life, God's purpose of your life. And when you stay halfway, when you don't go all the way, your life becomes barren. You can't produce. You can't give. Listen, don't stay where you are. And when you start this journey because you heard his voice, don't stop moving. Don't stop moving. Keep on going. And number three, I'm closing with number three. We have time. So number one, don't stay where you are. Don't stop moving. And number three, don't focus on your failures. Don't focus on your failures. We have the father of faith in here that should feel as a failure. God said, leave everything and go into this place. And you picture Abraham as being brave, men of faith, that immediately drops everything. Some commentaries said that it was five years that they stayed in Haran, five years. How long before he actually convinced, because he had to convince his dad to leave that place. You notice how in verse 31, it opens with, and Terah took his son, Abraham, because apparently now it was his idea. No, it's just that it's listed as the hierarchy. That's the dad. But I know it was Abraham's calling that influenced him to leave that place. How long do you think it took him to convince him? You see why you have to cut ties with something? Because you don't have time to be convincing people to go into a place that they were not destined to be. It was you who were destined and created to be into that place. So how long do you think he had been waiting? He had this word on him. Do you think it was 10 years that he had received this word when you hear and God had said to Abraham? How long ago do you think it was? At least five, seven years he had already heard this word. It reminds me of me. It reminds me of you. I know that you're sitting on a word from God. I know that some of these words that you've sitting on have been delayed. And I know that some of the evidence around you displays that your life may be barren. How do you get out of that? Number three, don't focus on your failures. Don't focus on your failures. Verse one again. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, now the Lord had said to Abraham, not a new word, listen to this. I hope out of the whole message you listen to this. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, now, you don't read in here, now the Lord said again to Abraham. No, one word that God's given you. Now the Lord had said, if this was 10 years ago, you can still say right now, now the Lord 
had said to me. If this was 20 years ago, you can still say, now the Lord had said to me. If it was 30 years ago, if you feel like you've been stopped in the middle, living in a barren life, living in, in a life that is not fruitful, if you have been there for 30 years, you can still say, now the Lord had said to me, leave this place and go into the land that I will show you. You messed up. You brought your, da- your dad with you. You brought him with you. He caused your life to be delayed. You stopped halfway that caused you to live a barren life. You know what Abraham did? Verse 4. So Abraham departed as the Lord has spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He failed. And when he decided to move forward, he still brought Lot with him. You would think that he learned the lesson. No. He still brought Lot with him. He started moving again, but still brought Lot with him. Now, I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're moving or not moving. But I don't have to tell you so much about the story to realize one thing. God didn't change his mind on him. God didn't change his mind on him. Even though you would think that he would learn his lesson by leaving Lot behind. No. He started moving forward towards God. That's the only one thing that he requires from us. That you start moving in the direction that he's called you. He will make sure that your dad doesn't make it. And he will make sure that Lot gets removed from your life. But you have to move forward. Move forward. He moved. Now, I told you I was closing with this, and I hope that you, out of all those things that you listen to this, don't focus on your failures. When you look at your failures, you know what you want to do? You want to go backwards. When you focus on your failures, you think God doesn't love you, and God doesn't care for you, and God has changed his mind on you. I love that all through the failures that we see in his life, God didn't change his mind about him. And let me tell you, God blessed him. God blessed him in a powerful way. So you're not too late. I don't know how long you've been waiting or if you've been in pause. But if you start today, that's all he requires that you start today. Even if you're attempting to bring Lot with you, he will make sure that he is removed from your life. He will make sure that he is removed from your life. That's what you have to understand. We cannot afford to not move forward. We cannot afford to stop going after God because even if you don't have everything figured out, even if you don't think you're where you need to be, in the moment that you start moving forward, he will make sure that those things that don't belong in your life get removed. So the new life, don't stay where you are. Don't stay where you are. When you start moving, don't stop moving. And number three, don't focus on your failures. Yeah. 
I was having a conversation with a pastor. It was always an inspiration to me. And he said something that was fresh to me, and I'll share with you. Something that I hadn't thought of. Because we know that God is all-knowing. He knows it all. He knows the beginning to the end. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows it all, right? So he knows that you're going to fail in the future. He knows your failures, future failures. He knows it. But when he deals with you right now, this is what he said to me. He deals with your heart today and doesn't consider your future failures. Are you with me? Meaning, today, your heart is all about God. And though he knows that tomorrow you will forget about him, he deals with you in the condition of your heart today. Are you listening to this? How amazing is that? So I wish you understand that his calling over your life hasn't expired. He has said this about you. And it's been 10 years, 5 years, as many years as it has been. Today, you can start moving forward. And let me tell you, he will bless you knowing that you probably will fail again. Just like Abraham did. Would you please stand? I know this series is going to bring confrontation into our lives, conviction into our lives. I want the new life. I want the abundant life. This life has a price. Salvation is free. Salvation is free. Some say discipleship costs you everything. Salvation is free. This new life is free. There is nothing you can do to earn it, to pay for. But there are some things that are required of you. And one of them is to leave that money behind. Leave that money behind. I know you've already made plans with your stash of cash. I know if you've already made plans. I know that somehow for some people, Jesus opening the door for a new life becomes an inconvenience. I know that. I hope that 10 years from now, five years from now, whenever you realize that God is still waiting for your answer on that calling, you can say, but God has said, and then move forward. At that point or now, you will still have to leave the cash behind. Leave everything behind. Let's pray. If you need to come to the altar, come to the altar. Father, I worship and I thank you. God, I pray that every word, God, that comes God, out of the mouth of your servant, may be inspired, God, may be revealed, may be anointed by the Most High God. God, this message is not designed to get people hyped up, to get people shouting. This message is designed, God, to reveal a reality in their lives. God, that you are always ready to give us this new life. God, that your desire is for us to have a new life, that you want to bless us, 
just like you did with Abraham. But now it is our responsibility, God, to leave the old life behind, the old habits, the old friendships. God, help us realize that if we bring old things with us, we're only delaying our destiny. And if we stop halfway, God, our life becomes barren. There is no more fruit. As long as you're moving, listen to this, as long as you're moving towards Canaan, towards the promised land, there will be fruit in your life. It is when you settle in Haran, when you settle halfway that you become barren. So don't worry about the process that is painful and that is difficult. God will receive honor and glory through those moments. But don't settle halfway. Don't be okay with just being an expectator at church. Don't be okay with just going to church every once in a while. Don't settle halfway. Go all the way in and say, God, what can I do, God? What is it that you want me to do? Where do you want me to be at? Listen, you don't have to be in the pulpit to be a good Christian. You can be at work. You can be in the gas station living the new life, producing the kind of life that will bring a testimony for the glory of God. Right at work where you are with your integrity, working hard, setting the, the example of what a good Christian is and what it looks like in the work side. Father, help us to realize that new life comes with a price for us to pay, that we have to let go of the environment in which we were found, that we can't stop halfway. Help us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, I love you, and I pray that God may reveal to you the things that you didn't leave behind. I hope you have enjoyed this message. And if one day you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and would like to visit, our address is 71001 Airport Freeway, Richland Hills, Texas, 76118. We would love to meet you. If you have any requests and would like for us to pray for you, you can call us at 817-427-0010 and leave a voice message. Contact us and let us know your comments. Once again, you can give us a call at 817-427-0010 or write us an email to info at mybethesda.org.